Well, guess what? If you are in the area of the east of the city, you might not be seeing sun uh, for a while with all of the changes that could be happening as far as urban planning goes. Apparently, they are looking to get rid of the Mayan Pyramid Tower that has been so popular in the east end of the city for a while. Blair Scorgi is a Toronto planner and urban designer and helped create the guidelines for more than a decade ago. Um, he actually is one of the biggest opponents of these buildings. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on, Blair. Thank you very much for having me, Kelly. Pleasure to be here. Look, these Mayan period pyramid towers, I don't know what else they're called, but they're kind of like uh, they're towers that look like they're steps. So basically, uh, the bottom floor would be the biggest and then follow the floor on top. You'd have more balcony space, the floor on top from the roof of the uh, other floor and then so on and so on and so on. It's sort of like a wedding cake. It goes up in tiers. Why did you why did Toronto first uh, lean heavy into this idea? That's an excellent question. Um, so I, I guess I'd sort of start by saying, you know, this was uh, leading up to this exercise initially started in about 2008, developing these citywide urban design guidelines for mid-rise buildings, uh, culminated in, in a final report and recommendations to city council, which they adopted in um, 2010. And so this was, this was a, you know, several years ago now, and uh, the issues that we were facing at the time were very different. And uh, we were attempting to sort of strike the right balance in terms of a number of different competing priorities. Um, we all obviously, you know, concerns around um, providing suitable housing, et cetera. Um, but we were also trying at the time to ensure, um, you know, we were minimizing site overlook on adjacent properties, maintaining mm-hmm. privacy for existing uh, residents, and also, um, you know, limiting the amount of shadow impacts that these buildings would have on adjacent properties, as well as the adjacent sides of of the abutting streets, um, you know, to ensure a certain amount of sunlight penetration down at street level to really sort of, you know, optimize um, pedestrian comfort and microclimatic conditions, basically. So is all that out the window now? Do we not care about uh, people on the street getting sunshine or shadow impact? We do. We still do. Uh, I think think the main thing that has changed in the last sort of decade and a bit is, you know, we've been faced with... um, a mounting housing and environmental crises. And I think we're starting to realize that um, what seemed appropriate in 2010 may no longer be, you know, sort of the right balance that we need to strike in 2022. Um, we, you know, we're coming up against issues of, well, we were these wedding cakes, as we described them, they limit the number of units that we can provide in these buildings. So that reduces the number of, um, you know, new people that can live in these communities. Um, it's, uh, it, it makes it very challenging and difficult to build these types of structures because every floor plate is different, as you say. So they require unique floor plate designs. A lot of structures required to accommodate for these terraces. Um, and so that increases the cost of development. And those costs are then, you know, transferred onto end users. Uh, and then on top of that, the sort of form of these buildings and the way that they have to be constructed isn't necessarily um, doesn't necessarily cater to more sustainable types of building design and development. They you know tend to require a reinforced concrete structure. They have a lot of exposed surfaces to the outdoors, which increases the risk and likelihood of heat loss through the building, which just means that they need more energy to maintain thermal comfort, etc. Um, so. You know, we're, we're trying to sort of simplify things a little bit uh, while maintaining that, you know, striking what we, we think is, you know, an appropriate balance today while recognizing, you know, this mounting housing and, and environmental crisis and how can we best respond to that. So I don't think it's necessarily a wholesale 
elimination of any sort of design direction, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it may be sort of a scaling back or rolling back of some of these uh, performance standards around what we call angular planes and step back requirements um, that really sort of result in this wedding cake form um, that's really, you know, causing a lot of these issues. And how did developers feel about this? I think, uh, you know, I, I'm not a developer, you know, I certainly can't speak, at, you know, from the perspective of a developer, but I do work with many of them. And I will say that, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think that it's very difficult in a lot of cases uh, for uh, developers to make the numbers make sense on mid-rise buildings to begin with, mm-hmm. even absent having some of these barriers in the way. Um, you know, we're dealing with uh, complex land assembly requirements where ownership patterns are very fragmented. They need to consolidate them. The land is very expensive. There's a lot of structure required, um, you know, and at the end of the day, they're not getting a whole lot of units out of these developments. So a lot of developers would much rather build high rise point form towers, you know, on sites mm-hmm. that have fewer barriers. And so that's one of the reasons we're not seeing as many mid rise buildings as we might otherwise. Um, but um yeah, I, I'd say, I, I'd say, uh, from a market and real estate sort of land economics perspective, uh, developers and le- land economists, I think, would agree that these these barriers or these sort of performance standards create sort of unnecessary um, barriers to you know penciling these developments in such a way that they're financially feasible, um, and you know without without passing extraordinary costs onto end users, which don't help us in terms of achieving housing affordability. We're speaking with Blair Scorgi, who's a Toronto planner and urban designer. Blair, when we talk about these wedding cake designs, it is part of uh, code. You actually, if you're going to build in the Danforth neighborhood right now, west of Coxwell Avenue, you and you want to go mid-rise, you have to build on a 45-degree angular plane, which looks like Mayan temple or wedding cake. Um, so council's planning on meeting this week to lift that. With everything you said, it makes a lot of sense. However... What are the odds? I, I mean, I think what the hope is, is that more developers will bid, will build these mid-rise buildings uh, and they will make for a more uh, cohesive, you know, skyline. Because right now we've got like nothing and then massive towers and then it looks like nothing and then massive towers when you look at the skyline in Toronto. Um, and it could look weird for a streetscape. What are the odds of them actually going, okay, well, well, now since we can build up and we don't have to go on a 45-degree angle, why don't we just build a, a mid-rise building when you're going to make more money off a high-rise? Well, I think no matter what we do, there will still be you know, a, a segment of the development community that will specialize and will choose to sort of focus in on um, tall buildings, high-rise buildings. Um, but there are a number of developers out there that are currently very passionate about working at the mid-rise scale and w- would very much like to um, do more. Um, it's just that some of these performance standards place, you know, uh, what they would perceive as being unnecessary barriers and hurdles um, to, to you know, um, encouraging that form of development. And, you know, despite all of that, they're still, they're still getting built. They're maybe just not getting as built as um, what the City of Toronto had originally anticipated when they put forward these, these performance standards. So I, I can only surmise that um, we're going to continue to see a mix of things happening, mm-hmm. development at different scales. But I would hope um, that, you know, if we simplify the rules, if we, if we clarify the rules a little bit, and if we remove some unnecessary barriers, and if we can strike that right balance where it's not all or nothing, but we, you know, we find a solution that works well for everybody, that 
you know, hopefully we will see, you know, a tendency towards perhaps more. Maybe the pendulum will swing slightly to in favor of, you know, more mid-rise development happening. It will still happen on a piecemeal basis incrementally. Yeah. Uh, and the scale of it's the scale is beyond Danforth. It's all the sort of avenues of the city of Toronto, all the major streets of the, the city of Toronto um, are subject to similar types of guidelines and policies. And, you know, I think what we would expect to see is is maybe just um, that happening a little bit more quickly than it has over the last 10 years. Do we move at a snail's pace when it comes to urban development and really looking ahead in the city of Toronto? Has that been a major problem for us? Well, depending on, you'll get very different answers depending on who you speak to. Um, I, I would, I would say generally, um, things aren't, th- things could be better. I, you know, I, I think that we have a lot of, um, bureaucratic and, you know, regulatory, uh, roadblocks in the city of Toronto, um, far and above what other municipalities, um, are experiencing. And I think there is something to say about simplifying the rules, clarifying the rules. Um, right-sizing building envelopes to uh, in such a way that it, it requires you know fewer buildings to go through um, site-specific development approvals processes for things like you know securing uh, zoning bylaw amendments or minor variances. If we can simplify the rules so that fewer developments have to go through that process, um, you know that's one less process that development needs to go through before it gets building permit and it can be constructed. Um, we could also sort of introduce incentives that don't currently exist. Um, so I, it's, you know, maybe a carrot and stick sort of thing. But but yes, thing, things are not fast in the city of Toronto. And there certainly is the potential um, to speed things up a little bit. Using hopefully any, it's thoughtful. Yes, any number of potential tools are on the table. And yes, hopefully it is very thoughtful. Um, but it does take quite a long time to build, you know, in Toronto. It, yeah. You know, the, the approvals process can take a couple of years, uh, potentially even more. And then the construction process for a mid-rise building can take, you know, three years at least. Um, so, you know, a generation of development could be five, six years, maybe at best. Uh, it could be longer uh, for, for a single development cycle to occur in Toronto. So I think there are things that we could do to speed things up, to help us address the urgency of our housing crisis. Absolutely. Blair, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your expertise. Thank you very much for having me. Take Have care. Have a great day. Cheers. Blair Scorgi is a Toronto planner and urban designer.